Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, Paul draws a clear line as to whether the Spirit of God is in a person or not. It reads as follows, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Yet if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not of him. This issue of Christ in a man or in a woman is the greatest revelation of the New Testament economy of God. It is something that was a mystery in the ages past, but has been revealed particularly in Christ and through the Apostle Paul that God does not dwell in temples anymore, but His desire is to dwell within a man. And so Paul speaks here in Romans 8 that, yeah, the Spirit of God can dwell in you. The Spirit of Christ, Christ himself, can actually dwell inside of a person. But he is very clear and rather bold and rather frank. And there's no ambiguity here. Either Christ is in you or he is not. Either you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that is, He indwells you, or you are not filled and not indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Many of us make this whole issue of Christ in me an issue of feeling. But Paul does not explain here in Romans 8 that it's got anything to do with the feelings of a man. This is the truth, as Christ spoke it in John 14 and 15 and 16. And this is the truth as Paul preached it and as Paul lived it. Christ is in you as a reality. Christ is in you by faith. But is he in you? That's the issue that we will discuss today. Is Christ in you or not? We are in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. But you are not in the flesh, but you're actually in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. I want you to notice that phrase. The Spirit of God apparently can dwell with inside a person. Paul goes on, he says, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, if you do not have If you do not possess, if the Spirit is not realized within you, Paul is very blunt here. He says, you are not of Him. 
It reminds me of Acts chapter 19 when Paul showed up in Ephesus the first time. He found disciples of John the Baptizer there. And they greeted one another and they began to sort of fellowship together. And Paul asked them just straight up in Acts 19, he said, When you believed, when you began to be a follower of John the Baptizer who was pointing out the Christ, when you became a disciple, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit? It was very important for Paul to know whether these John the Baptizer followers had the Holy Spirit. Because for Paul, that is the start of the journey in God. That Spirit apparently has to come into you. And who is the Spirit? It's just Christ. He asked those disciples of John in the city of Ephesus, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And in Acts 19, Luke narrates that they responded by saying, Paul, we've never even heard of such a thing as the Holy Spirit. Then Paul counters and he says, Then how were you baptized? And they said, Well, we were baptized with John's baptism. Now, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. There are many different kinds of baptisms in the Bible. And if you came to John the baptizer and you were baptized by him, then John wanted you to live a new life and repent from stealing and repent from this and repent from that. It was a baptism of repentance. So Paul asks, how were you baptized? They say, we were baptized with John's baptism. And for Paul, it was just not good enough because Paul teaches baptism not as an issue of repentance. Paul teaches baptism as an issue of indwelling, of identification, of unification. For Paul, baptism was an issue of you coming into God and God coming into you, like me going into the water and the water coming into me. For Paul, it was an issue of saturation and filling of the Holy Spirit. Not the filling of the Holy Spirit in giftings, but the filling of the Holy Spirit in nature. So he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? It's the same here in Romans chapter 8. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells within you. It's not whether you have giftings. That's, that's an addition. That we get as we begin to walk in spirit, as we minister and as we function with Christ on this earth, then the Holy Spirit begins to gift you with this, that, and the other gifting. That, that's not being spirit-filled. Speaking in tongues is not an indication that you're spirit-filled. Speaking in tongues is a gifting of God. Paul is asking, are you spirit-filled? As in, did you receive the nature of God into you? If we can use the example of an acorn thrown into the heart of the earth, there will never be an oak tree if the seed is not planted into the womb of the earth. If I take an acorn seed, beloved, in that seed is all the power for a mighty oak tree. 
Within that acorn seed are billions and billions and billions of acorns. I just can't see it just yet. But the power of it is latent within that acorn. So I can bring that acorn to you here and point it out to you and say, wow, look at this potentially mighty oak tree. And I can put that acorn here on the table. And yes, that acorn has power, but it is sown into the wrong womb. That acorn belongs in the dirt. That's the womb for that acorn. As long as the acorn stays on this table, no oak tree will ever grow in this room. Ever. God is the powerful acorn. God is the one with the potential for fruit and reproduction. But if God has not sown into me the womb of God, so to speak, and just follow the metaphor, I am the recipient of the seed of God. If God's Spirit is not sown into me, if I keep blocking Him and resisting Him, and Christ is not coming into me by His Spirit, there is no way that I will ever grow up to be godly, pure, holy, Christ-like, nor will I ever manifest God, change into glory, and bear spiritual fruit. It is the same with a woman. If the seed does not come into her, she will never bear a child. Even with Christ's birth, Mary had to conceive. That principle of a seed coming into a womb is a a God principle. And so when God even had to bring His man, His son, into mankind, He did it through the process of the Spirit coming into Mary to produce the image of God on earth. So Paul asks those folk, they say, we don't even know of such a thing. He rebaptizes them and he makes sure that your baptism is not uh, to be a follower of John the baptizer. Your baptism is not just an issue of saying you're sorry. This baptism is in Father, in Son, and in Holy Ghost. Baptism is a link. It's a It's a connection. You're being yoked to Almighty God, the triune God. We are done being followers of John the Baptizer. And so he says to the Romans here, you're not in the flesh. You're no longer yoked to the flesh. You don't have an obligation to the flesh. If indeed the Spirit of God is in you, is He in you? So he says, if if He's not, then you're not of Him. It's rather blunt, but this is just where Paul draws the line. Either God is in you or He is not. Then he goes on in verse 10, he says, But if Christ is in you, circle that phrase. In verse 9, He dwells within you. In verse 10, He is within you. He says, Even though your body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Just notice the phrase, If Christ is in you, things are going to happen. In verse 11, he says, If the Spirit of the One who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. There he says it again, back to back to back, in three verses. And this is very unique to Paul's ministry. 
So let me take a quick rabbit trail and let's go to the book of Colossians, but a rabbit trail first. All throughout the Old Testament, there are these types and shadows of God's New Testament economy. All the men in the Old Testament and women to some extent are prophetic pictures of Christ. Many of the things that they said are prophetic of Christ. Many of the things that they did and let's say the sacrifices and all the ordinances that they kept are much of it, if not all of it, are types and shadows of Christ. In the Old Testament, they predicted Christ's birth. In the Old Testament, they predicted uh, Christ's kingship, His suffering. Uh, They predicted a new heavens and a new earth. The Old Testament is so rich with with imagery of, of Christ and the imagery of the New Testament economy, this new creation that's coming. But not once in the Old Testament is it prophesied that God will come into a man. They didn't have that revelation. The common understanding was that God is kind of like a mantle, like a, like a cloak, if you will. And God comes upon a person. We even have that in Jesus' baptism. The Spirit comes upon Christ. He comes upon a priest or upon a prophet or he comes upon a king. And there was always the anointing, which was in a way the Old Testament baptism, so to speak. That anointing was a kind of a consecration. And here in the New Testament, we have a kind of a consecration and that is water baptism. So all throughout the Old Testament, as rich and as prophetic as the Old Testament is, It never prophesies or hints at this thing that God and a man is going to become one. Paul calls it a mystery that has been hidden throughout all of the ages and generations. So yes, they saw the end of the age. They saw the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, if you will. They saw the restoration of all things. They saw the judgment, but no prophet ever saw that God could become a man. That's why when Christ actually became a man, that is when God took on flesh, it was very, very hard for people to wrap their mind around that thing. How can God come into my world? See, I'm supposed to serve God. God dwells in the heavens, right? So I do things for Him. This is what religion is about. And even He gave us a law. And He gave us a tabernacle so we can approach Him. It's all about me coming to God. Then God throws a curveball. And He says, wait a minute. I'm going to come and live with you. And be Emmanuel. God with you down there. And so everything changes when God comes into that little girl called Miriam and and, and she conceives and, and, and she gives birth to a normal baby, a common human being. Now this human being is growing up 
and uh, he gets splinters like everybody else and he has calluses on his hands like everybody else and he probably gets his feelings hurt like everybody else and I, I suppose every now and again Jesus had didn't put the dishes away and mom had to reprimand him a little bit like everybody else he had to grow in obedience and then one day he gets baptized and he begins a ministry and he begins to tell people God is my father God and I are one and before Abraham existed I existed and he called himself in a way God and this was very very hard for people to understand if I lived in that time I probably would have crucified Christ myself because this is blasphemy this is not how religion works God is up there minding the universe I'm down here trying to mind him and, and this is what life is about so here comes a man and he says basically when you see me you've seen God when you hear me you're actually hearing God I am God in the flesh I existed long before Abraham and they say to him you're not even 50 years old how can you have existed before Abraham and of course he's referring to his eternal existence he's only manifested in the flesh now but he has existed ever since the beginning in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the same was God it was very hard then one day he takes his disciples up onto a mountain and he transfigures in front of them and he shows them that hey I'm not just a common ordinary man actually there's more to me than what you can see and he transfigures and he is glorified right in front of them and he emits and, and, and shines and, and radiates the very effulgence of God he glows out the divinity And even the disciples who saw this were just a little bit dumbfounded. And I want you to notice there is a tension within your New Testament. Like how can it be that, that, that God is here? But then at one time the disciples did clue in a little bit. Wow, but God is here. So okay, we can then reestablish the kingdom of Israel. We can reestablish uh, our supremacy as the head of the nations. But then Christ dies. It was very tough for them to understand how can God die if he's a so-called Messiah? Like what is going on? The confusion is due to the fact that there was no hint in their history as to that this will occur. They knew that from the seed of the woman there's going to come a man that's going to crush the head of the serpent. But they didn't really know what that would look like. And they expected a king that would come and, and, and overthrow their adversaries. But then this king comes and he dies. And I just want you to know in the New Testament, I don't blame the folk for not understanding, for being confused, and for even crucifying Christ. I believe I would have done no different had I been handed the same set of circumstances. Here's the point I want you to get. Nobody in their right mind ever saw it coming that God and humanity would mingle.
Christ rises from the dead eventually, and then He breathes His Spirit into them on the day of resurrection. When Christ breathed His Spirit into them, this is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8. If Christ is in you, and He can dwell within you. So that began only in John chapter 20 on the day of resurrection. So Christ mingled Himself with flesh and blood. And Christ had prophesied a little bit that I will be with you and I will be in you and I'm coming back to you in in spirit. Okay. In the early years of Christianity, in those very, very initial days, they did not preach a lot about Christ in you. That concept was still very... I guess, foreign and alien and and strange to the disciples, even though they had partaken of the Holy Spirit that came into them. And then the Holy Spirit also came upon them on the day of Pentecost. They were very familiar with the Spirit coming upon them. That's modeled in the Old Testament well. But God coming in, you'll notice in the preaching of Peter and in those early chapters of Acts, there's not a lot about Christ in you, Christ in you. But then, here comes the Apostle Paul. And under his ministry, we get this enormous revelation. I believe it is a revelation that outweighs the revelation of the Antichrist. I believe it outweighs the revelation of the end of times. And it's under Paul's ministry that we get this illumination, this understanding that God dwells inside flesh and blood, that I am a temple of God. Nobody spoke that I am a temple of God in the Old Testament. The early preachers of Peter and Philip and Stephen, they didn't really, really touch on this issue. But here comes the Apostle Paul. And of all the New Testament writers, he harps on this issue. And he does it most beautifully in the book of Romans here. He constantly talks about God being in you. And he does it especially well in Colossians chapter 1. So go to Colossians chapter 1. In my opinion, this is the deepest revelation of the New Testament. This issue of a kingdom coming, that was already prophesied in the Old Testament. This issue of a new heaven and earth. Uh, a restored mankind, the nations with Israel as the head, all of the, the good things that are coming, it's all prophesied. But Paul adds to the whole corpus of revelation this deep, heavy one that God does not mind living inside of a person. And he writes it most beautifully in Colossians chapter 1. So I want you to grab your Bible. And follow along with me quickly. I want to pick up here in uh, verse 24. I rejoice in my sufferings on your behalf, and I fill up in uh, my body that part which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, in my flesh for the sake of the body of Christ, which is the church. That sentence alone has weight 
and glory and revelation to it that's quite meaningful. Paul so identified with Christ that um, he wanted to give even his own body to suffer with Christ's body that suffered so that the rest of the church can be built up. Paul understood that out of Christ's suffering body came the church. Out of Christ's wounds, out of Christ's cross comes the birth of the church. And Paul is saying, hey, if he suffered for the building of the church, then I want to suffer with him. If he bled, I want to bleed. If he, if he was whipped and if he was beaten and if he was stabbed and persecuted, then I don't mind fellowshipping in his suffering if indeed it can contribute to the building of the church. It's an amazing mindset that Paul has here. So he says, he speaks here of the body of Christ, that I am a minister according to the stewardship of God. So God entrusted a ministry to the apostle. Now you have to follow carefully Paul's description of his ministry. So he says, you know, I want to be a part of building up the church. And I want to be a part of this ecclesia. And um, he says, oh, by the way, God entrusted to me this responsibility. He entrusted to me this, um, this uh, your Bible may use the word stewardship. And it's actually a technical term um, where... In Paul's day, a landowner would hire a steward to run his entire household. If you were a wealthy landowner, you did not manage all the people yourself. You would have an intermediary kind of a steward. And you would entrust authority to that steward to govern all things, to steward all things. So Paul saw himself as a steward of God. God has the economy. God is the rich one. God has the universe. God has the message. And God entrusted that to Paul as a steward. So Paul saw himself as kind of a slave to, to manage the household affairs of God. So keep that in mind. So he says, I'm a steward um, of God. And it was given to me to complete the Word of God. I want you to notice that phrase because a lot of translations do not put it in the blunt original Greek as it was put. Listen carefully. God entrusted a stewardship to Paul, a revelation to Paul, a message to Paul, so that Paul can complete the speaking of God. Paul can complete the Word of God. Now the Word of God began to be spoken there in Genesis. And God's Word was spoken through all the many prophets and priests and kings. And they all spoke for God. And they spoke different revelations. But they never spoke the revelation of Christ in you. That speaking was never in the Old Testament. So Paul says, God singled me out. God chose me. And He gave me a responsibility so that I can complete the speaking of God. Guys, this is amazing. According to Paul, his ministry put a period behind the, the revelation of God. Paul is basically saying, I 
and putting a bookend on the revelation of God. After this, there's no more revelation needed. So he's about to hit you with this revelation, and it's the revelation of Christ inside of a person. So again, listen carefully. This thing of God inside of a man was never hinted at, never prophesied at. So the Word of God, the speaking of God, had a lack. Here comes Christ, and He speaks the Word of God. But Christ did not go into all of the world to speak this this, this message. You'll notice here, even in Colossians, the previous verse, Paul says, I went into all of the world, into every creature under heaven. I'm speaking this revelation. I'm a steward that's managing the message of my master. And I love the boldness of this man where he says, basically, under my ministry, the revelation of God comes to a complete stop. There's nothing more you need to know about God. I complete the speaking of God. So, beloved, we don't need to come up with another revelation. We don't need to come up with a fresh message. I believe Paul puts the cherry on the cake. Jesus began to speak about Christ in you there in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. Jesus spoke about it. But Paul will really go after this. That economy of God to come inside of a man was given to the apostle Paul. Here, Paul, you steward this. And you go into all of the world and go tell everybody that God can live inside of a man. So Paul says, I'm a steward of this, and it was given to me to bring to maturity and to bring to completion the Word of God. Now he's going to describe what is he completing. What is this Word? And look at verse 26. So he says, This Word that I'm completing, this Word that I'm completing is a mystery. It's a mystery. In Greek, mysterion. It's a mystery. So, God gave something hidden to Paul. That word mysterion is the word hidden. So, all throughout the previous generations, this message was hidden. No prophet, no, Noah, Abraham, nobody. Moses, Ezekiel, Daniel, nobody spoke This message, it was obscure, it was hidden, it was a mystery. In other words, it was unknown. So Paul says, it was given to me. So I am the one that's going to declare this mystery. So he says, the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from the generations, but now it has been manifested to his Saints. So under the ministry of Paul, we move from mystery to manifestation. Can you all follow with me? From mystery to manifestation. From the unknown to the known. From the hidden to the open. And Paul says, I'm the catalyst that makes that transition for people.
Gnostics had big problems with this God in you stuff because the Gnostics really went to town on this issue that God, the divine, cannot live within flesh and blood. No way, Jose. Flesh and blood is inherently evil. Flesh and blood is, is inferior. How can God come into flesh and blood? And so they denied the incarnation of Christ. They had big, big problems with this God in you stuff already back in that time. So, this is only to the saints. That's why Paul would say in Romans, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, do you know that He dwells within you? A Christian apparently should know this. We should be aware of this. That I am filled with God. I may not speak in tongues, but I am Spirit-filled. I may not be able to foresee the future, but I am Christ-filled. Christ in me is the issue here. So now look at verse 27. This manifestation God willed to make known. You know, in previous generations, God did not will to make it known. But now, God is willing to make this known. And what is He willing to make known? What are the riches of the glory of this mystery? And then Paul comes and he lets it out. What is this richness of God? What is this glory of God? This revelation. And beloved, here's the most marvelous verse in all of the Bible. For, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of... This is a message... That apparently was hidden. And so now, if we follow this historically just a little bit, you'll see that in the Old Testament, there are so many prophecies regarding the glory that's coming. But nobody was quite sure how will we be restored to glory. So maybe through war, maybe through a kind of a king and they had all sorts of ideas as to how Israel would become the head of the nations and how we will be exonerated and how we will be glorified. But here comes Paul. And he adds to this whole corpus of prophecies. He says, no, war is not going to glorify you. Uh, Judaism is not going to glorify you. The sacrifices is not going to glorify you. Uh, the law is not going to glorify you. So many things were proposed in the Old Testament that will glorify you. What is glorifying you? Means it's to be God-like, God-infused. So, yeah, Paul comes, he says, huh. the only way that you'll be God-like and shine with the weight and the glory of God, the only way that you'll be a transformed person is if Christ comes into you. That mystery nobody saw coming. Because everybody said the law, circumcision, works, war, 
fasting. Oh, now we will reach the glory of God. This is how I become a godly man. And this is basically religion versus the gospel. Religion proposes so many things, even good things, that you and I can do to become godlike, to shine and emanate with the glory of God. Paul says, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. The only way, the only way that you will shine out the glory of God and be godly and overcome and break through is if Christ is in you. He is the only hope that you have to be glorified. This mystery, nobody knew. This was hidden from everyone. No wonder they were caught up in religious legalism. And the Pharisee added some 2,000 rules and regulations to the law of God to be glorified, to, to show forth holiness, and to arrive at a level of godliness. And Jesus called them sons of the devil. For all their trying, for all their religion, the only place they ever arrived at was to be children of the devil. So legalism gets you nowhere. Paul comes, he says, wait. God has entrusted to me a message. And with this message, I complete the revelation of God. And what is it? Christ in you, the hope of... Come on, people. And he says, by the way, there's richness to this Christ. There's richness to this glory in you. Christ is not cheap within you. Christ is not shallow within you. Christ is not small within you. Christ is not limited within you. Christ in you, there is a richness to this indwelling Lord. There is substance to this indwelling Lord. And Paul says, hey, this is whom we proclaim. Look now at verses uh, 28, which by the way, is the foundation verse for Legacy's mission. Verse 28 says, We announce this Christ. You know, this Christ in you, that's the hope of glory. We announce Him. I don't announce John the baptizer. I don't announce Moses. I do not announce Judaism. I don't announce the law. I don't announce asceticism or legalism. I announce Jesus the Christ. And that's our mission here at Legacy. Whom do we announce? We announce Jesus. Jesus. And notice Paul says in verse 28, We admonish every man. We correct every man. We rebuke. We warn. We, we, we plead with people. We try to stir people for this Christ in them. We announce Christ. We admonish people. And then look at verse 28. We teach people. Every single person that's willing to listen will tell them about Christ in them, Christ in them, Christ in them. And he says, we want to do this in all wisdom. Of course, the wisdom that comes from God. And then he says, verse 28, so that we can present every man full grown in Christ. Well, that was Paul's ministry agenda. And beloved, welcome to my ministry agenda. To announce Christ in you. And I've had so many people over the years that say, I have never heard that Christ lives inside of me. I've always learned that I give my heart to Him and I try to please Him. And then I come to Legacy and y'all tell me Christ is here in me now. I'm like, yay! You need no more revelation after this. This completes the Word of God for you. I've had so many people that over the years were just shocked 
at this whole thing that God can live in me because, you know, we're sinners. I'm in the flesh. So how can God live in me? It's not an issue of feeling. It's an issue of faith. You got to take this message by faith. And so I have admonished people and warned people and I've been strong with people and I've tried to teach people and guide people and lead people. Why? Because only if Christ is in you can you grow up into the stature of Christ. If earthly wisdom and philosophy and sermons and just teachings is in you and morality is in you and legalism and do's and don'ts, you will never become a godly person, ever. The only person that can change you into glory and, and more glory is Christ. So that's why Paul says, you're not in the flesh, you're actually in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit dwells within you. Now the same one who raised Christ from the dead, if He dwells in you, He's going to do a work in you of resurrection, spirit, soul, and body. So this is Paul's theology. This is Paul's message. This is his mandate. He says this is a stewardship that God gave him. So people often wonder, what did Paul preach? What did Paul preach? He preached Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he admonished every man. And he warned every man. And he taught every man to present every man full grown. So I have not given you guys a lot of legalistic things, do this or don't do that. It will never work. A filter on your computer will never work. Cutting your eyes out will never work. Having a positive mind will never work. Otherwise it would have. The only way for you to be glorified to take on the substance of godliness and self-control and the fruit of the Spirit is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's why at the school we have not bound you guys to this and bound you to that. Paul didn't do that. I can't do that. Because then you can boast of a method and now I can boast of a formula and I can boast of a discipline. But woe is me if I boast in anything but the cross of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. Christ in me. Let's wrap it up here in verse 29. So I want to present every man full grown in Christ. Free, mature, godly. And he says in verse 29, To this end I labor. This is why I work so hard and preach so fervently and suffer so much. He says, I labor towards this maturity of Christ in people and I struggle according to the working and the power of God which operates within me. Basically, what he's saying here is that my stewardship to tell people this hidden thing that they've never heard to tell people this thing prophets never saw. He says, I'm doing this by a power that compels me to do this. I just partner with that burden within me. It's really Christ in me using my body, my personality, my voice. It's Christ in me that's propagating His own message. Hey, I want to live inside of you. What does it mean to be Spirit-filled? It's the same to be Christ-filled. It just means He lives inside of you. 
Yes, Christ can live inside of you without certain giftings manifesting. But it doesn't mean that if you have this gifting, now you're spirit-filled, and if you don't have this gifting, you're not. That is not true. Romans 8, if He lives inside of you, you're Christ-filled, you're God-filled. <laughs> you are spirit-filled. There's not a second-class Christian and a first-class Christian and a superior and an inferior. There's not a hierarchy. Either you're in Christ and He's in you or not. Paul is very clear there in Romans 8. So, beloved, can I admonish you that Christ is in you not in a sloppy way. Christ is in you not in an apathetic way. Christ is in you in a rich way, in a glorious way. But you'll never feel it. You won't feel Christ in you. Christ in you is a fact that you take by faith. That's your secret to the vibrancy of an indwelling God. It is not a feeling, whatever that means to you. You guys have to really radically today get over this feeling spirituality. It's not going to work for you because one day the roller coaster is up and the next day the roller coaster is going to be down because feelings change. The people of God live by faith, not by sight, not by feeling, not by goosebumps, not by circumstances that are nice and harmonious. We live by faith. And so I admonish all of you now. That's what it means to warn, to strongly contend with you. Christ is in you and you take it by faith, beloved. So what does that look like? Here it is. Step one. Begin to say, God, you are welcome in me. Step two. Begin to say, God, I praise you for being in me. Begin to like talk to God within you. I know we are supposed to look up to the heavens and say, Our Father, which art in heaven. But that prayer is a little bit modified under the ministry of Paul. Father, Son, and Spirit that's within me, I welcome you here. I praise you for being here. God, I don't feel you, but Lord, I trust you're in me. I take you by faith. I thank you that you are rich in me. I thank you that you're changing me into glory. Your nature is rubbing off on me. And when the circumstance goes awry, as it inevitably does, things don't add up, the red carpet burns, then God doesn't leave you. I will never leave you or... I'll never leave you or forsake you. I am with you to the end of the age. Now listen, the body of Jesus Christ, the human man part of Him, has ascended to the heavens. And in exchange, He released His breath into this earth. But His Spirit is not like in the book of Genesis, just kind of hovering here. His Spirit wants to come into His saints, those who will receive Him. So that's why Paul would ask, did you receive the Spirit? So beloved, stop complaining that you don't feel like a saint. Stop complaining that you don't feel good or feel God. Stop looking at your circumstance to interpret the presence of God. Look at that plaque on the wall. Bitten or not bitten, God 
is present. So open up your mouth and praise Him as being present. I thank you, God, that you are here. You're in the car with me. You're under the car with me. You're at my job. You're at my left. You're at my right. The prayer of St. Patrick. Christ be within me. Christ be without me. Christ be on my left. Christ be on my right. Christ be before me. Christ be behind me. St. Patrick's prayer is, is so beautiful because this man had a revelation that I don't have to like plead with God to come. Holy Spirit, fall on me. It's just an issue of saying, hey, I am the temple of God. God is with me. And then just live your life and see what happens. So this rich message was entrusted to the apostle. And he went all around the known world of his day to proclaim this thing of Christ in you. You know, everybody wanted to go to a temple to offer sacrifice to the gods. And everybody was constantly aware, like, is the gods punishing me? Because they would interpret their circumstance based on the gods' temperament. The gods are angry, so that's why there's lightning. The gods are happy, so that's why she's pregnant. The gods are mad, so that's why there's famine. The gods are glad, because that's why there's rain. And so they constantly lived on eggshells. Did I displease the gods? So here comes Paul. It's like, Bahamba with all of this. I want to tell you, there was a Jewish man that died in Judea. And he released his spirit into everybody that wants to receive. And he writes that to the Romans. Romans. 